Maybe the easiest question of all time would go something like this. Would you rather spend eternity in heaven or spend eternity in hell? Um, It's not a difficult question, right? Eternal bliss versus eternal fire. Um, Joy and happiness versus weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't have to make a pros and cons list on this one, right? It's a very easy question. You might wonder if such places exist or the God who decides who goes there is real. But if the question is, where would you prefer? And it doesn't get much easier than that. It's a very easy question, but it's the wrong question. Maybe, a, maybe a, I've asked that question or a question like it. I've asked a lot of people. We've asked a lot of people. When you die, what do you think will happen? Where do you think you'll go? If you believe in a heaven and a hell, where do you think you'll go and why? Once we had someone answer, I think I'll go to heaven because I really want to go there. That person had answered the wrong question. Because the question is not, which would you prefer? Maybe a better question is this. Do you know God? Do you know Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus and do you know him? That's a better question because that's what eternal life is. Do you know that? Eternal life is not a place. It's not even going to heaven. It's knowing Jesus Christ. And, and don't take my words for that. Take Jesus' words for that. Praying to his Father. Right at the very end of his life, Jesus said this. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and that they may know Jesus, the Christ whom you sent. Eternal life is knowing God through the only way He's allowed Himself to be known by people through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's It's hard to live in this world and not prefer heaven to hell. It's very easy to live this life and have no desire to know Jesus Christ. And if all someone wants is to just do his or her thing, have as much success as I can gain, achieve as much as I can achieve, have the right kind of people like me, and not be bothered with church stuff, not be judged, not be told they're doing anything wrong. But then, yeah, I mean, I want to go to heaven after I die. I would be very concerned about someone's eternity because the only thing they want is they just have decided they would prefer heaven to hell. Well, yeah. Yeah. 
And if I have eternal life now, I want to know God now. Because that's what eternal life is. It's not a place as much as it's a person. It's a relationship with the God of the universe. That's what Paul has been talking about where we pick up in the book of Philippians this morning. And that's what he's going to continue talking about today uh, when we just read three verses. To get you caught up, really, this is part of the passage we studied last week. It was just too much to take all at one time. But Paul is definitely not the guy who is just going through life, doing his own thing, and trying to be good so that God will like him. That's not Paul. Paul's given up any hope that he can be good enough that God will like him. In the passage that we studied last week, Paul said this, I, I've suffered, I've let go of everything in this life that I might gain Christ. And he told us in last week's passage what the aim of his life is. My aim is to know him, to know Jesus. That's my aim. That's my goal. Nothing else holds any value compared to knowing Jesus Christ. That's the great prize. That's what he's going to tell us he's going to strive for today. So that's, that's where we've been, and it's still where we are going as we open our Bibles today, this is uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. We're just going to cover these three verses today. There is plenty in here to chew on for sure. So having just said what his aim in life is, Paul says this. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which... Also, I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's our passage. There is, there's a lot of things that are kind of hard to understand, honestly, in those three verses. They're really easy to misunderstand, and it starts right away. In the first part of verse 12, where Paul writes, not that I have already obtained this. That it, we have to answer this question, and we have to answer it correctly, or we won't be able to understand any of the rest of what Paul says today or really next week either. And that the first question is, what is the this that Paul has not obtained? There's something that Paul hasn't yet obtained, and by the way, it's what leaves him imperfect. What is the this or the it, depending upon your translation? 
might be easy to say, well, maybe it's his perfection. Paul has not yet obtained moral, behavioral perfection. Is that the this that Paul is going to be striving toward in this passage? The answer to that is most definitely no. How do I know that? Well, we have to look backward to find the antecedent for this pronoun. But this has come before this. And that this is what Paul talked about last week. And if Paul made anything clear last week, it's this. I have given up even trying to obtain moral, behavioral perfection in this life. I am not striving to be good enough that God will like me. Paul says, I have a, I've been given a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Right? I don't have my own righteousness derived from the law. I have a righteousness that comes by faith in Christ, a righteousness from God on the basis of faith. And my aim is no longer, his aim used to be moral perfection through the law and my effort and my self-discipline. And Paul says, I put no confidence in that anymore. That's not my aim. Isn't that what he said last week? Well, he hasn't changed his mind to saying, but I keep striving, I keep trying. That's not the this. What is the this? Paul's already told us. What is the this that is Paul's aim in life? Somebody say it out loud. What is it? To know him. My aim is to know him. So we got that much answered, but that raises now a new question. Because if that's the this, and it is, grammatically speaking, it's the only option. If that's the this, then what does Paul mean by this? I have not already obtained this. You don't know Jesus? That's what Paul says. My aim, my goal is to know him. And I have not already obtained this. Can we know Jesus? Yes. (laughs) Take a deep breath. Yes. Yes, we can. But that's what Paul says. So what's he mean by this, this? This is an example of one of those, and Christianity is full of these, an already but not yet aspect to Christianity. If you're a Christian, which just means you believe you deserve wrath from God, but he pointed the wrath you deserve on his son in your place. So if you're a Christian, if you're a a believer, can you say rightly that I am already a part of God's kingdom? Can you say that? Yeah. 
Can't you also say, though, that I, I'm not yet in a part of God's kingdom, like God's kingdom has not come? Aren't we still waiting for his kingdom to come? So I'm already a part of his kingdom, but I'm not yet a part of his kingdom, right? If you're a Christian, can you not say at the cross, you were, you were delivered, you were completely delivered from your sins? Isn't that true? On the other hand, can't you say that you're not yet delivered from this body of sin? Yes, you're already, but you're not yet. Can you say as a believer, you have been made righteous by God through faith in Christ? Already, yes. Can you also say, I have not yet been made righteous by God? Yeah. We could do this all morning. Already, but not yet. Here's what Paul is saying. He said, the whole aim of my life is to know him. And I already do, but I do not yet know Jesus the way I want to know Jesus. And here's what leaves Paul imperfect. Paul's not imperfect because he can't get himself behaviorally perfect. He's behaviorally imperfect imperfect because he doesn't know Jesus perfectly. When I know Jesus perfectly, I will want nothing more than I want him. I will want nothing that doesn't bring him glory, that doesn't please him. So, Paul knows Jesus, but he does not yet know him the way he wants. He, he doesn't have this unbroken fellowship that's not gummed up by anything else. This is not as confusing as maybe it sounds. You walked in here ready to understand this passage. David actually prayed for it, which I thought was weird because we didn't talk about this ahead of time. Do you have a relationship with someone? Do you have a relationship with someone? And yet at the same time, it is not the relationship that you long for. I mean, you already have a relationship, but it's, it's gummed up. It, it is, there's separation there. It might be miles that separates that relationship. It might be sin. There might be hurt in the past. There might be something you did to that other person. There might be things that other person did to you. There might be divided loyalties. There might be conflict. There might be on and on and on. You have this relationship, but you long for that relationship to be more. You understand that, right? That's Paul with Jesus. I just, I want to know him more because where I'm imperfect is because I am choosing something else over him. And when I know him perfectly, I will never do that again. But just because Paul doesn't have his full, unbroken, unrivaled relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that that's not something he's still striving for. There is Paul's striving. Second part of verse 12. But, so I don't have 
my aim, which is to know him, but I strive. He says it this way, to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. This is one of those places where you kind of want to say, Paul, why don't you just say what you mean for a change? (laughs) What does he mean? What is this? He strives to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Here's what it is. First, did Jesus Christ lay hold of you? If you've come to believe in Jesus Christ, he did. He laid hold of you, and he promised he will never let you go. That part of the equation is solved. Paul says, I'm striving to lay hold of that. The reason why Jesus laid hold of me, I want that. So why did Jesus lay hold of you? Jesus laid hold of us corporately. He promised to build his church. He promised to build his kingdom. He needs individuals to populate those things. But individually, Jesus laid hold of you for eternal life, which eternal life is so that you would, what's the aim here? Know him. That's why Jesus laid hold of you, because he wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. He wants me to know him, that there's nothing better, greater, higher, more awesome. Paul says, that's what I strive to lay hold of, knowing him. That's the goal. That's the prize. There's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better in eternal life. Not streets of gold, not a crystal sea, not the house he is building for you right now. There's nothing better than knowing Jesus. And because he's God for all of eternity, he can have an un broken, unrivaled, personal relationship that's perfect with every one of us and everyone else who's ever believed in it. And Paul says, I'm striving to get more of that now. Because the more I know him, the more the rest of this stuff will fall into place. He's striving. He's working. Not to make himself good enough so God will like him. He's striving to like the one who made him good. To like Jesus more than he likes everything else. So he's not misunderstood. Paul repeats himself because this is a striking thing for the Apostle Paul to say. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Yet's a wonderful word there. we don't learn anything else from this part of this verse, we learn this. If the Apostle Paul hasn't got to level expert in his walk with Christ yet, the rest of us probably haven't either. Paul, this is Paul's admitting there are still things in my heart, in my life, in my weaker moments where Jesus Christ has a rival in my heart. I'm trying to want Him and know Him more than anything else. And sometimes I blow it. So that's what I want is to know Him more and more because I know He's better than all the rest of this stuff. This is what the, the late Warren Wearsby called Paul's sanctified dissatisfaction. And I love that. Paul's not hopeless. Paul's not in despair. Paul's not, oh, I'm the worst. 
and I keep failing and nobody can like me. No! He's just like, I know I, I, know I blow this, but that's what I want. And I know I don't, I don't want him the way I want to want him all the time, but that's where I'm striving. That's the goal. Now, in the rest of this verse, we've got a verse and a half left. Paul tells us just where this leaves us. He's identified his aim. Paul's aim is to know him. Paul's aim is to know him. Does he know him perfectly yet? No. Is he trying to know him better and better? Yes, that's his game. That's his aim. So where does that leave Paul? With one thing. Here's his one focus. And I put the main sort of clause on the screen here. I left a little part out that we'll talk about in a second. Paul says, you know my aim is to know him. I haven't arrived there yet. That's what's going to perfect me because to live is Christ. To die will be my gain because when I die, I will, guess what? Know him perfectly. And until then, that leaves me with one thing in the Greek. It's very simple. Paul just says one thing. We had some other words to help us make sense. One thing I do. One thing I strive for. Verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal, which is to know him. Why? For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I've identified the prize, the goal, the best. It's knowing Jesus. So, the driving focus of my life is to press on toward that goal, which is knowing Jesus, knowing who he is, knowing I can trust him, knowing he's more valuable than anything else I could chase. He's better than anything else I think is good. That's the goal, and I do that for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, one day... One day I'm going to hear the upward call of God. One day, the God of the universe is going to call, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the God of the universe is going to call your name and you are going to come forward to meet the one who saved you. And Paul says there's something about knowing Jesus more. I want to know him more now because I'm waiting for that day when he calls my name. When I go up there, he rips out the the sin tendencies out of me and the divided loyalties and all that. He makes me like Jesus. That's what I'm focused on. I I wanted to think of a, tried to think of a way to illustrate just like the, the, the beauty of what Paul is talking about here that motivates him today. How that day motivates Paul this day. And so this is the best I could come up with. Bear with me through a couple of personal illustrations. Okay? I want to show you a couple pictures of a couple of really good days in my life. Okay? 
I'll start over here. The picture of our wedding, first of all, you didn't know Rachel used to be like six, three and a half, did you? See, you thought you knew us. Picture of our wedding is, is my reminder of the, the greatest thing, apart from himself, the greatest thing God ever gave me was hair. I mean, Rachel, I mean, Come on, you were already thinking about the hair anyway. I just said what you were thinking. The greatest thing God ever gave me apart from himself was Rachel. Right now, you can think about my wedding, think about your wedding if you're married. That was not the day where I learned whether or not Rachel would say yes. That had already been decided. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got so dressed up. Right? Right? So think about when that decision has been made, two people, we're going to spend the rest of our lives together in relationship. From the moment our engagement started, when we were waiting for the day of our wedding, how should I have treated Rachel? Should my attitude have been, well, I already got her. I can go about my life, do my thing, right? She's already on the stringer. No. I should have. I didn't do it perfectly, and I still don't. But I, I should have been going after her heart every day then, before then, and thereafter. Looking forward to that day so that when she walked down that aisle and we said those vows it could, be, it could be joy and not doubt or wonder, right? Okay. Picture number two. This one made the rounds uh, this year. This is a picture of the, the hug that Cedric and I shared um, right after an overtime victory in the district championship game, right? Um, that, was, that, was a, that was a lot of fun. Now, if basketball worked differently in high school, let's say instead of the way we do basketball or sports in high school now, what if it's more like a rec league in the city somewhere? What if all the kids who wanted to play high school basketball, their names just went into a big pool and they got stirred up and you just got a random group of kids, right, more like a rec league might be, and then you coach those kids. And if I had coached just a random group of kids during a season and we went through the same schedule and won the same game, let me ask you, could I have shared that hug with a kid I'd only known about three months? No. Because you know what was in that hug? Years of relationship of striving together toward, toward good goals. Listen, there was, there was failure. There was hurt. There was loss. There was injury. But at the end of the day, we got that hug. Right? Now, here's what that has to do with Philippians. 
Paul says, one thing I do, I press on toward the goal. What's Paul's goal? Paul's goal is to know him. Because I'm waiting for the, the prize. You're not going to cut down the nets in heaven. You're going to get a hug from Jesus Christ. He's going to call your name if you know him. And Paul says, I want that hug to be the culmination. I don't want to be just some random guy. He saved, but didn't follow him, didn't know him, didn't work with him. I want it to be years of life together, striving together toward good things. There's going to be regrets and loss and sin and mess-ups and pain, but I want there to be this, the culmination of a lifelong relationship between me and him. We're finally together. We finally have the full thing we always wanted, the prize. You always knew me, and I always knew you, but not perfectly, but here we are. That's Paul's one thing. And it's, it's not like the district championship game. There's a little bit of district championship game hug, and there's a, there's a little bit of wedding in there, because in basketball, we don't know the end. Right, with Christ, it's more like my wedding. He already said yes. He already said yes. But what do, I, what do I want to be in that hug with him? Now, if we want our hug with the Lord to be the culmination of lifelong relationship, then Paul says something we have to do in this, a dot, dot, dot is called an ellipsis, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, I was an English teacher. Paul says, but one thing I do, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And if I'm going to do that, I must forget the things that are behind and reach out for the things that are ahead. Paul uh, became, in his language, something of an accountant last week, right? He used words from financial, the financial world where deposits, withdrawals, or gains and losses, or debits and credits. Today, he's an athlete. He's reaching out, striving toward the goal. He's, a, he's running a race in his language here. And Paul says, like, every good runner knows, even in the first century, you can't run your best if you're looking behind. Rachel and I have gone to a lot of track meets over the last 10 years, and we still get a chuckle. Kids can't help but do this. And we laugh every time. We run around the track. They've been around, they're seven laps into the two-mile, right? And they're looking behind them. I always want to say, like, who do you think is back there? Like all those kids that started the race with you, they're still back there. You want to know what they're doing? They're chasing you. That's what they're doing. Looking, looking behind you cannot help. It can't help in a race. It can only hurt. Now, why do kids do it? What are they hoping to see? They're hoping to see that they're so far away from those kids who are dying back there that I can what? 
I can slow down, I can let off. Right? Because suddenly my goal is not to be my best. My goal is just to make sure I'm better than them. Right? That's why you never see someone do this in the finals of the 100-meter dash. Right? You didn't see Camry Dillon at state flying down the track and do this number. Right? Can't help your stride. Can't help your wind. It would be ridiculous. It can only hurt. If you're trying to be your best, it can only hurt to be controlled by what is behind you. That's why Paul says if we're going to strive toward that prize, that upward call, we have to forget the things that are behind. Now, biblical forgetting and remembering is not cease to recall the stuff that's in my past. That's, this isn't a brain wipe. We know that's not true because Paul, in this chapter, listed a whole bunch of stuff from his past, didn't he? He remembers where he came from. The experiences of our past shape who we are. The painful, um, the painful experiences of your past shape who you are. They just do. But forgetting them means no longer being controlled in my performance now by the pain back then. If we are going to run our best race, striving toward the hug we will share with our Lord, we have to first stop looking around to see how everyone else is doing because that won't do anything for me running my best race. It might, I might look around and see that the, there are other Christians way ahead of me and then I will get discouraged and I'll, oh man, I can't be like that person, right? That's not going to help me strive toward my hug. Or I might look around and think, I'm better than most of the other people around here, and it will still make me let off. So that's one thing. We also have to do a lot of hard, hard work so that the painful things in our rearview mirror don't still control my responses, my behavior, my attitudes today. Now, I don't have time this morning to really go through what that hard work involves, but it is understanding things like pride and my, and my rebellion, and it takes a whole lot of forgiveness forgiving the people who have hurt me so that they no longer have control over my heart. And it's so important to do the hard work of letting go of the painful experiences in my past because they, they will keep me from my best time in this race. But the painful experiences aren't the only thing I have to forget, leave behind. Because it's also pretty easy to rest on the laurels of the things I did that actually were good. Things that did take faith 
things that did work out well. The time I actually did share the gospel or did whatever. It's really easy to sort of rest on the laurels of even those good things. This passage is about how I'm going to strive toward that hug today. It's, it, it doesn't matter how someone else is doing in his or her race. It, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter what happened to me in my past, the failings that I failed, the terrible things someone else did to me. I've got to do the hard work of letting stuff that go, letting that stuff go, and even the successful big faith things that I have accomplished with the Lord's help in my past. That can't be how I strive today. So that makes sense. So I think here's where this leaves us. It hasn't done that in a long time. These are the same questions as last week that we ended with. It's the same passage. It's the same, the same thing, same conversation. I have to be honest with myself and my God. What is my greatest prize? Paul identified his greatest prize. Paul's prize was to know him. Did he know him perfectly? No. So what did he do every day? Strive to know him better. Because the better I know him, like my behavior will take care of itself. My relationship will take care of itself. If I know him, I will trust him. I will love him. I will know that what he says is best. All that stuff is true. But my goal is to know him. If I'm looking forward to that hug with him and I want it to be of years, I want that hug to represent years of working together for Jesus Christ in this life. And what will I do today that will build a little bit of that and that hug? Then, to identify what is the stuff that holds me back from pursuing that? What, is the, what are the rivals in my heart? What are the conversations I need to have? What is the help I need to ask for? Because I want to forget what lies behind so that I might press on toward what lies ahead, the, the, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pray with me. Father God, there are so many things in this world that compete with you for top billing in our hearts. We know in our better moments there's nothing better than you. So God, help us to put knowing you as our prize, as our, as our goal. And help as we strive in this life, help us strive for nothing more than knowing you better, loving you more, trusting you more. So God, help each one of us to identify what it is from behind we need to let go of, good or bad. Help us know what, what help we need to ask for. 
what things we need to forgive, what sins we need to repent of, that we might press on toward the one who has said yes already and who, who wants to know us now, our Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. Uh, thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and finish with us, please?